Rugby League Back Chat is sponsored by TotalRL.com. Hello, welcome to the LD Nutrition Stadium. Welcome to Rugby League Back Chat. Today, my guests are Damien Irvin of Bradford Bulls, Michael Carter of Wakefield Trinity, and James Ford of the York City Knights. Welcome, guys. Thank you. So much to talk about this week in Rugby League, as always. Michael, I'd like to start with you. 21 games in, in the first season of the restructure of the uh, Super League uh, as a competition. As a stakeholder in Super League, what's your take on progress today? 21 games, it's been tough but from, from, from our club's point of view. Um, we've, we've hit a bit of a uh, momentous injury list this year. Uh, I think I counted up 15 major injuries and operations. Um, but I think we've got in Super League a competition which has never been as close before, give or take that Saints are running away with it at the top. Um, but the feeling amongst the other clubs that you can go anywhere and win a game, which certainly when I started in 2013-14, there were times where you know we were we were looking at a game at, away at Wigan or Saints and thinking, we just can't win there, we're not going to win there. And now we feel that we can go anywhere and, and give anybody yeah. a game. And you know I think from the closest of the competition outside of the top two, you've got what eight or nine clubs I think separated by six six or eight points. So. You know, I think from a from a competition point of view, it's been great. Uh, we probably all didn't envisage kind of being in a relegation battle from third downwards. I'll come on for that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but you know, you know, sometimes you get a, a consequence of a decision that that you you weren't aware of at the time. So, you know, we we've set this in place. I think it's been great. Um, there's been uh, some really good competitive games this year, and you know, some surprises along the way. And I sure. think. You know, a lot of kudos to teams like teams like London. Everybody yes. thought they weren't going to win a game, yes. and they're sat there and they're fighting and competing. And you yes. know, the we've been battered twice by them. So yes. you know, it's uh, it's all kudos to London. Absolutely, Damien, your chairman was particularly vocal last season at the restructuring plans by the Super League clubs. What's your club's take on Super League? Oh, look, I think you'd have to ask the chairman if, uh, that particular view. And I think it was there was a lot of discussion around a lot of clubs and the whole game around structure. And um, and so there should be, I guess. Um, in my view, competitive, meaningful rugby league week in, week out is what the game needs because it's all about broadcasting. It's all about viewers and people through the gates. So um, there are always negative sides to that, the jeopardy of relegation and, and battling as well, as there is a final series to look forward to for that runaway Um Leader, so I guess I'm I'm quite used to that coming from an NRL system where yeah. you're really battling every year to get in that top eight, yeah. and then it starts all over again. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I might like to see something that's a little bit more weighted towards that final series, uh, giving teams that even just scrape in a little bit more levity to, to get in there. Um, it's not no longer the case in the NRL that the minor premiers are guaranteed of, of being, you know, uh, probably the favourite through the final sure. series. So look, I, th I think it's great. And I think that the restructure, um, there's a lot of detail discussed around the, the restructure. And I think we probably were trying to um, to fix things that we weren't really probably needing to fix at the time. I think uh, so many more arguments got tossed into the argument about the restructure that we sort of lost sight of what it was about, yeah. what yeah. the competition structure should look like. It got yeah. way too political and a whole bunch of other stuff was yeah. thrown in where the real issue was that restructure. And and I think the game's probably in a place now um, with the Super League system and then the, and the RFL system that um, 
if it's not right and it needs tinkering in the next year or so, I think the game's probably mature enough, or I hope it is, to, to tinker with it and have a look. Um, I think things have settled down enough to that level, Michael, wouldn't you say, to be yeah. able to say, let's chop and change it a little bit and tailor it? So. I'd agree. I mean, if you've got something wrong, with, with hindsight, you go back and change it in a mature fashion, like, mm. like Damien's suggesting. Yeah. You know, the couple of things I, I forgot to mention when, when we set out on this journey of restructure is that two of the main things for us were certainty of fixtures throughout the season, because that was the feedback we were getting from, from fans that come August and September, they had absolutely no idea what the games were and right. got 10 days notice and had booked holidays and had booked to go away and, and weren't going to change those plans. Yeah. And the other feedback was from season ticket holders, again, on a similar basis, saying that well, yeah. we, we don't know what a third of our games were yeah. and, and, and we don't know whether we can get there, so we're not going to buy a season ticket. Yeah. So we, we address those. And, and certainly yeah. from us, we've seen our season ticket growth go up by, I think, around 6%. So yeah. it certainly worked on, on that point from us. Sure. James, you're sitting second in the championship. One eye maybe on next season. How do you see the Super League season? Uh, first of all, th certainly haven't got one eye on next season. You know, <laughs> very much got both eyes on, on Batley <laughs> next week. They're a, they're a good side and you know, if we uh, don't perform anywhere near our best, you know, Batley will beat us, mate, that's for sure. Uh, in, in terms of the Super League season or the Super League on its own, I like how it's changed over the, over the last few years. You know, we we uh, bemoaned a lack of competitive games, you know, lopsided scorelines uh, and clubs not being able to compete with with the really big clubs, now that's pretty much gone, not not completely. Uh, and like Michael said, you've got your London's capable of going and beating Wakefield, St. Helens, and it, it, it gives a, a very competitive uh, competition. And you know, if you're looking forward towards the international games, we, we often blamed that lack of consistency, that lack of intensity yeah. on, on us not being able to beat Australia yeah. consistently. Yeah. Uh, and now you've got games where, where right in the balance, you know, for a high percentage of the season, and hopefully that'll come through and help the uh, the national side uh, go one step sure. further. Does London's success this season inspire? I love it. Absolutely love it. Yeah, the championship clubs. Well, we're looking for that top five. For, for, well, London are a slightly different kettle of fish to York because they're full time anyway. Yeah. Uh, but they've got two two of the liveliest up and coming coaches. Absolutely. I've had the pleasure to meet, and every time they they they, they perform, every, even against Castleford, who I support, you know, I kind of wanted London to, to win yes. uh, and, and the story of their writing is fantastic. Uh, I watched the uh, the Toronto game and I, you know, for 70 minutes I still didn't believe they could win. I'd probably like the vast majority of people watching it and, and they did and yeah. and you've looked at you know, the, the other squads around in Super League and you think well it's going to be a toe for them yeah. but uh, every week they turn up and they, uh, they surprise people and they're continuing to improve and uh, what a story it would be if they can keep them up. Absolutely, absolutely. All the stories in Rugby League and Super League are about the relegation battle. The energy really isn't in the top five battle right now. Is that good? Is that ideal? <sighs> is, are we seeing you know, tense, rather error-strewn games because of it? I think that may be a consequence of the fact that it is the first year of this new structure. So, and, and Probably more teams have got caught up in that relegation battle than we envisaged yes. at, at the start. And, Is there and, and fear in Super League now because I of London's success? Well, I, th I think you should always be fearful of, of relegation. You know, there are there are massive consequences for any club that that gets relegated from Super League. You only have to look at the last two years with with what Lee went through with to start yes. with, and obviously what Widnes have gone through yeah. this year. And, and Bradford, um, uh, they went through you know, the horrors. Bradford have been through the horrors as well. It's um, 
it, it's not easy. You know, if it was easy, we'd, we'd all know the solution for getting out of it. Yeah. Um, there, there are tough decisions to make the moment you get relegated. Yeah. And, and I think the quicker you address those decisions, the, the better the chance you've got of A, preserving your club yeah. and B, bouncing back if you can. Could you ever envisage, though, out of six matches every round, three of them are relegation battles? <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I, I think we do need to focus or, or try and focus on St Helens at yeah, the minute. Absolutely. They're playing an outstanding brand of rugby league. Um, you know, uh, we get the the perverse sort of thing thrown at us that everything's been dumbed down and it's to the lowest common denominator now. I think that St Helens side are absolutely fantastic. I've yeah. watched them five, six times this year. Mm. I think they're a great advert for rugby league, the way they play. Uh, and they're certainly my favourites to go on and, and win the double. Sure. Um, I've probably put the, the curse of all time <laughs> on them now. But um, I think there has to be, from a Super League's point of view, we have to try and focus more attention on that battle at the top. As, it, as Damien says, when it gets to the, uh, the playoffs, I think St Helens do get a bye in the, in the sort of first round of playoffs. So they get that um, thing for winning, winning the league leader's shield. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think they've got every chance of, of going on and being a, a, a really uh, powerful side this year. Good. Is it the fact of broadcasting, Michael, it's interesting you talk about um, the scheduling, which is so important for yeah. supporters and all that. And as I see it, one of the main reasons scheduling needs to be locked in or, or can be locked in, there's an argument there that they'll say, well, if they lock in the TV fixtures um, at the start of the season, you can get games towards the end of the year that aren't meaningful or aren't yeah. the right games. And and certainly that was the case in the NRL for a long time. They only put out the games four or five weeks in advance because they would wait to see yeah. what the big games were coming up and month to month that changed. Mm -hmm. But with the financial system around the the way the Super League is set up, is it not right that clubs get paid when they are on Sky? They get a bonus sort of money. Um, and that's odd to me because I think the, the whole pot should be split across evenly across all the yeah. clubs. So yeah. regardless of whether, and St Helens should be on the television a lot. They, they're fantastic, as you say. Yeah. Um, but that shouldn't be as a detriment to, to clubs that might not be in the battle. Yeah. Um, they should, it's, do you know what I'm saying? If you split sure. the revenue evenly yeah. across but, it, then you wouldn't have the issue of schedule. Well, well, perversely, Sky are actually focusing on the relegation battle. Yeah. If you think well, Leeds where the excitement KR, is rather than Which is State. good for those clubs because yeah. they're getting the fee yeah. each week, I would imagine. But if one club gets 10 games on Sky and gets yeah. their five or 10,000 pound bonus, yeah. What about the club that gets three? Yeah. It's yeah. all one competition yeah. and one TV deal. Yeah. Well, well let, let me explain. Uh, I had a question about this this week. That yeah. At the start of the season, every club uh, gives £80,000 of their central distribution into the, what's called the TV pot. And then for a Thursday night game, you get £20,000 back. For a Friday night game, you get £15,000 back after the first one. So the first one is free. In the six years that I've been doing this, I've never had more than the 80k back in, in, I've only had it back in one year. Every wow. other year I've been under the 80K. So it's been a kind of a big gripe of mine that I'm, I'm with you, I think it should just be just distributed. Just a lot of money in revenue. Yeah, um, so you get some clubs that will earn 160K out of the TV pot and some clubs that get 40K. And for me, it's, it's just redistributing the wealth in the wrong manner, but that's how it's been and that's how we live with it. Yeah. Um, I think the problem with scheduling all the fixtures at the start of the season is exactly what you say. We don't know what games come round 20 or 21 that we actually want to watch, but they're already fixed. But conversely to that, if you don't pick your Thursday night games and you leave them till four or five weeks before the game is going to be played, that can have a knock-on effect on the games after and the games before. 
Because if you've got a club that's on the Sunday before the Thursday night game, they then have to move that to the Friday. So it's it's a tricky one that you've got to try and plan as many games as you can. But I think we've we've planned to round twenty three at the minute, so there's still the last six rounds to to pan out. And we've got I think all our home games now are on a Sunday after Castleford on Friday. Um, and we, if we end up going to a Thursday night on one of our games, then we have to move that that other game as well. So it's a tricky one. It's I, I don't think there's any one answer to it. Yeah. It's it's again review. Can mm. we improve? And if we can, let's do it. I'd like to come back to the battle that's taking everybody's focus, which is a battle to avoid the draw. It's so costly. In a 12-team league, one side being relegated is so costly. I don't know if you've looked at this yet, James, but because you are sitting well in the um, championship. But the challenges facing the promoted side are enormous. You've got three months to put the Super League side together. Most of the available players are not available. They've been signed up by somebody else. And your existing players are going to have to step up to the plate in terms of faster pace, greater intensity, and so on. It's an enormous challenge, isn't it? Yeah, well, that, that, that challenge runs throughout the, the whole league. So if you're, when we were in League One, you're looking to, to re-sign or sign players before you've been promoted and, and players are unsure and the same the championship to Super League and I'm sure London were in that boat yeah. and I think if you look at what London have done they, they've signed uh, they, or they re-signed a lot of good young up-and-coming players Definitely. and they've invested in the culture they, mm. they, they believe in, in hard work they believe in improving players in improving believing people and it's, uh, it's certainly led to them being competitive yeah. and I'm sure if London uh, the stronger position they're in this year I would imagine that I'll reflect in the squad that they put together next year, yeah, uh, and I'm sure that Danny and Jamie will, will, will hopefully take that, that club onto new strengths. All that good work this year will be actually lost, won't it, if they go down again this year? So, uh, you know, you've got a strong foundation to build upon. There's a lot of young London-based players in that squad uh, who are on the periphery at the minute. Like yes. A couple played against us on the weekend for yeah. Sheffield, uh, young Meadows and, and Ogden. Yeah, yeah, so that's and they'll probably get you know five ten appearances this year. And if London yeah. don't quite stay up, yeah. I'm sure they'll be the, the the spine of their side next year. Yeah. And with, with coaches of that caliber, I'm sure they could continue developing them and, and challenge again. Uh, I, I quite like the philosophy what they've got, where they don't they don't come in and and, and overspend and, and put Absolutely. the club at risk. And they believe in in the training and they believe in the development and. Uh, We've got no choice at York, <laughs> so I'm hoping they can, they can get it right and we can follow suit. But what's also interesting is right now, you know, right in the real business end of the season, they're not panicking, they're not signing loan players, they're not sacking the coach, they're not doing what other clubs have done. Well, wouldn't you just love to play for Danny Ward? Absolutely. You know, he's so relaxed. I know Danny well, he's great. And that is how he comes across in the media. That, you know, he's, he's very authentic, and that's how he is. Uh, you know, there will be no no pressure as such on the players. They'll just turn up and perform to their maximum as individuals, as units, as a team. And uh, I, you know, I'm sure I'm not the only person who was, who was clearly rooting for him. Yeah, everything about that London club this year has to be applauded. It has to be applauded. Oh, from what from how they've come up, and like I said, didn't make kind of major signings or anything. Mm -hmm. They gave all the players that have, that have got them up the chance and they have performed and they've been brilliant. Yeah. 
Brilliant for the competition. Well, Coates reignited Jordan Abdul's career, for example, yeah. playing the best rugby of his career. I think seeing how many players have uh, potentially been touted to go to other clubs next yeah. year just speaks volumes for how they've done as a club. Yeah. But I think you've got to ride the highs and the lows. Yeah. I mean, you know, Michael's just said that he's had a terrible injury toll and issues mm. at Wakefield, but, you know, they're at a rough patch now. But if you pick and stick, if you ride through that, um, London have shown that if they were relegated, I'm sure they would keep a call wherever they can mm. and look next year and next year and, mm. and patience for that. Um, ad hoc and retrospective, reactive loan buying in and players and shuffling, it's it's not Absolutely. the answer. It's very short term. It's a panic. And, 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 it is a panic. And it falls apart. Yeah. So I just got to wrap it up there. That's it for part one. See you again for part two very shortly. Welcome back to part two of Rugby League Fat Chat. James, I want to talk about the championship, please. Um, all the focus in the championship right now is in the top five, which I guess most people would be happy that it's gone that way. You're currently sitting second. There's probably about seven teams that are fighting for those top five positions. How do you see the championship so far? Uh, it's an immensely uh, difficult competition. Uh, you know, every every side is, is capable of beating any side. You know, we went to Rochdale and we were we were very lucky to come away with a win. You know, if that game goes on five more minutes, we I reckon we lose that game. And I think that shows just how competitive teams can be. Uh, we've got seven games left, and uh, you know, we'll need to be at nine, ten out of ten for each of those games. Otherwise, we'll lose. Otherwise, we'll lose them. But that's how it should be. You know, uh, we we didn't want to be in League One where there were some games where you pretty much were guaranteed to win those games. We wanted to be tested every single week by a better calibre of players, by a better calibre of teams and coaches, and uh, we're really enjoying it. It's tiring, uh, but we're, we're loving every minute of it. Okay, great. What about Bradford? You're in the mix as well. Yeah, and I think the system, I think it's probably an example of the restructuring at the end of last year. Um, it's working because that, that top five is still aspirational for a number of clubs on the fringe and outside, so it's still quite interesting. If you're two or four points off of that fifth position, you, you're still in with a, with a shot. And um, I think it also endorses what we talked about prior to the break there about picking and sticking. I know John Keir had a lot of injury issues early in the season and a great um, challenge cut win against Leeds, then a very flat period um, after some injuries and some, some bad results. Um, but but didn't make wholesale changes, didn't bring in you know, replacements for Dane Chisholm and others and sort of stuck with what he had, knowing that the season's long enough to build into it again and, and Bulls are just on the edge there of the five. So I think it probably endorses strong competition in, in an interesting structure. And it's a really exciting competition, but uh, you know, as James said, you, you don't know. Um, you know, the Bulls went away and, and won very well in, in Toulouse in a great result on Saturday. Yeah. Um, and, and I can guarantee it's just as tough to have Swinton coming to, to Oddsall to try and play them on, on, on Sunday backing up from that, so it's tough. Just just touching on, on the Bradford situation there, I'm really pleased that John didn't go and sign some more players on loan because they've, they've got some really good young kids coming from them. They've got a great academy side, you know, John Bastian, you to oversee, oversee that. Yeah. There's some really top young kids in, in, that, in that system. Uh, you know, people like Rowan Mills, I know he's injured now, yeah. but it's been fantastic to see Rowan play in the championship and play pretty well. 
and you must be pretty excited about some of the players you've got. Well, I think, and I think it is endorsement on John and, and Andrew and the way they've set up the structure there, not to be reactive like that. It's very easy to panic a little bit when Rowan was injured and Dane left, and you know there's fan pressure. There always is because fans <laughs> will say, "Where's that? Where's that new signing coming yeah. in?" But John stuck to his guns there and said, "No, I, I know what we've got here. Um, we're building as a squad, and, and I know where it's going to come through." And Jordan Lilly and um, and John, uh, Joe Keys coming back have really started to play very, very well, um, and it's it's a credit to them for that. I, I, I like to see more longer term substance planning and, and that's what they've done there is, is you know rather than that that ad hoc sort of try and find a quick quick solution um, so it's it's an interesting month coming up really exciting for the championship as the, as the reserves benefited Bradford do you think in that respect oh, massively yeah um, because you've, you've got lads that are playing men's rugby league um, you know midweek or, or on weekends that are ready to step in when, when time comes yeah. um, and I, I, I think that's been it's shown there's been some injury in the centers and um, and players coming back in um, that are allowed to have. I mean, Joe Keyes wouldn't have had any rugby league for six or eight months, but he played one or two reserve grade games into first grade yeah. and in good form. You need it. You do yeah, need yeah. it. I well, think. we watched a game last we did, week, yeah. didn't we? Wakefield and Bradford at, at, uh, at the Mobile Rocket Stadium, 24 all. It was a great game. Yes. We had a good game to watch. No, I think you, you need it. Um, there is a massive step up, as you know, from, from 19, 20-year-olds playing yeah. rugby league to, to men's rugby I want to talk yeah. about the reserves, guys, because compulsory reserves next year in Super League, mm -hmm. All but guaranteed, I think. What will that mean to dual registration? It, it is a it is a tricky one. I think um, you know we'll be looking at the kids that we've had in our uh, or eventually played first team this year. Jack Croft, uh, Lee Kershaw, uh, Connor Bailey was in a squad. Titus Guaze. We're probably going to look at them staying within our reserve structure rather than going out on loan or dual reg for next year, unless we feel that it is the benefit to the player himself to be playing. At a championship level, for instance, you know, if we if we feel that uh, a player will get more out of playing in a, a sort of top five championship club, then it's probably something we'll look at. But I don't see us doing a a wholesale dual reg. We haven't this year. You know, we've got a we've got a, a relationship with Newcastle where from time to time uh, the odd player will go up there and have a game. But to be fair to Newcastle, they haven't been knocking on our door asking for players anyway. So. Um, the reserves have been invaluable for us for this right. year because we've had a lot of players that couldn't have played academy rugby but couldn't get a game in the first team structure either. James, from a championship coach's point of view, we know at Featherson they've had 20 players on dual registration so far and they are fighting for a top five position. What's your view of that? <laughs> Good question. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, I probably should concede that York have used dual registration uh, in previously. Uh, copped a little bit of stick as a as a coach for that, but in the in the situation we were we were in, we needed it. We didn't have reserves. We didn't have a, a massive resource of players. We didn't have a, a massive amount of funds to go out and, and sign players. And the relationship with OKR really really benefited us. Yeah. And I'm you know I'm not I'm embarrassed to admit that. Uh, the, the the link between Leeds and Featherstone uh, is a really positive one. You know it helps Featherstone field a really strong side. I mean some of the the well, what will the, they do next season if Leeds have to field reserves? Uh, well, fortunately for me, that's not my that's not my issue. <laughs> exactly. uh, no, I'll leave that to, to Ryan Carr and, and, and Mark and the Ferguson board. But Ryan's on the yeah. Leeds coaching staff as well. Yeah, he is. Yeah, I feel like you're trying to throw me under the bus here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, a, it's a great question, but that's rugby league. This is what we've got to understand. We talked about maturity before. Just because it, James has got a number one job. 
and that's to look after York and do his best job with what he can under the rules and under the current system. And Fev have got that exact same task, and the chairman and the CEOs and and the coach of that has got that job to do. So just because they use the dual red system at the moment, or they're bringing a lot of loan players at the moment, because at the moment they they need to use that to get the best result for their club, doesn't necessarily mean that theoretically or they they believe in that as being the best for the game or the structure in the big term. But you, you've got to play under the rules you've got to play yeah, under yeah. And, and do your best for your club. Number one job, you turn up every Monday, that's what you're there to do. So. Everybody knew the rules at the start of the season. They've not yeah. done anything wrong. They've just yeah. used the system that they believe would be best for them for this season. And they, no they, are, they are developing a reserve side as well. So yeah. I, I would imagine they have got a three to five year plan about maybe not using dual registration, maybe developing their own players. Exactly. Like they have done it really effectively previously. Yeah. Uh, and you know, hopefully get back to that. I don't think it's at all good. You've got to have homegrown players that are in that colours, that the, the young kids from 10-year-old come up and watch through the system. You've got to have club people as players, number one, yeah. for people to come through the gates. So I don't agree with the system, but it's all right to use it while it's there. Change the system if you don't like it. And that's not just Featherstone. You know, I, I have that for Wakefield as well. I counted up last night. We've had 11 players play for us this year that have come through our academy out of, I think, 27 players used or something like that. So that's certainly been where we've that's been going. That's the secret, isn't it? You know what Simon Wolford said? The other week, and I listened to it, and I, and I, I just thought, wow, that's, it makes such sense. I've never thought of it that way. You were talking about having they've had to develop their own top Super League players because, realistically, top Super League players like Sean O'Loughlin don't often move clubs, mm. certainly not to Huddersfield, so they have to make them. Uh, and I just when he, when he said it, I just thought, wow. And then you look at their their squad list. I know they've they've, they've brought in Ollie from you guys, who, who, please. That's good business. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you look at the squad list; they've got so many academy graduates in there with with so much potential, and you can see the. Yeah, they might be in that relegation fight now, but if they get it right in terms of their development, then they could be at the other end of the tables pretty shortly. Yeah. And it's getting you it's getting your plans in place at fourteen and sixteen, you know. You go back ten years in Wakefield, every decent player in Wakefield went to Wigan. That's just what happened. Now we've had Jack Croft, Connor Bailey, Titus Guaze, Tom Johnston, Max Jowett, Jordan Crowley. You know, you can just ring them and they're all starting to come through. And that's where we've put a massive amount of focus on our academy structure. And Mark Applegast has done a great job for us in, in, in finding players and then bringing them through the entire system. Bradford have had a great, a great academy system under yes. John, like you said, and it's definitely the way to go. And in the financial realities of the new broadcasting deal, which is not widely expected to be greater than it is now. It may lie in other areas, who knows? That homegrown talent, that kind of almost motivation to want to form your first team squad largely from your homegrown players, that's got to be the way forward. Yeah, absolutely. For, certainly for clubs like us, you know, we've, we've not got the potential to go out and buy a, a massive marquee Australian player or, or pay transfer fees to other clubs to bring, to bring youngsters in. So that's where we've put all of our focus. But just to, just to pick you up on a point that you, you've started that with, we've spent 18 months talking our game down, and I'm sure Damien will agree with this, through all the machinations of what's gone on. And all we've said over the last 18 months is our new TV deal is going to be worse than the, next, uh, worse than the current one. We've got to get out of that thinking. Absolutely. We've got to say, we've got a product that's that's fantastic to watch. We need to market it better, and we all know that. But let's get out there and say, this is not a product that's that's a declining uh, financial product. Let's get out there and say, get the best podcast deal I, we can I, absolutely get. I couldn't get. agree with you more, We just Michael. talked about half an hour about how, how um, 
relegation battles and, and, and promotion battles and how exciting the top two tiers are. It, and it is. So it's a great product. It's the best product. Yeah. yeah. It really is super. Well, yeah. three tiers for me because League One has just been as exciting. You know, there's probably, I think, six or seven teams there vying for them spots to get up as well. So structurally, we have made massive improvements yeah. on it. And I love the way Toronto market the game. You know, they, it's it's a fun day out. You know, mm. it's not this sort of abrasive tribal thing that is quite familiar in rugby league. It's just fans mingling, having a few beers mm. together, having fun. You know, I love the way they do yeah, that. You've got to look on our own doorstep what makes clubs clubs and what makes rugby league successful. You talked about not having the funds to go and buy a big Australian marquee, Michael. And if you had them, I wouldn't suggest you did it no, anyway. No. Because um, the fact is, an Australian marquee will probably excite and your core fans who are already season ticket holders will know their background and they'll be excited to watch that person play. It probably won't change your gate too much no. for those people that aren't rugby league people, that a, a guy who's a big name in Australia is playing this sport that we don't really know. What will change it though is if you've got 12 lads who are from the local area playing in your first team and each one of those has probably got a a core of 50 to 70 to 100 of, of greater, you know, from his school year, from the street he lives in, from where mum and dad work and all of this will get an interest and come along. And you've got 70 people coming along because of your, your tango. Mate, you're getting close to a thousand people yeah. all of a sudden who are interested in the locals and that, that feeds out because everyone knows everyone in your community. Yeah. Much better than bringing in a- Couldn't person, agree more. You know, yeah. Just want to talk quickly about another issue pervading social media at the moment, the venue for the championship final. Do you have a view on that, James? I'll delete my social media. <laughs> <laughs> so, I need to do that. Yeah, it saves you a lot of time. Uh, I'm not sure where I got this from, but at the start of the season, I was under the impression that we were going to be at a neutral venue, similar to when Castleford and Widmas played. And I went to that heading lane. It was a great, great day. Really enjoyed it, obviously. Uh, so that's that was my impression. But you know, I know previously, the last few years, it's, it's been at the highest ranking club. Bond. Million pound yeah. game was. It'd be tough for Toronto that to come in, yeah. flying over to York at a week's notice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Joking. <laughs> We've got enough neutral stadia within yeah. an hour's drive of all of the areas here to, to have it in a neutral venue and put the money through it back into a rugby league club. But has involved. David Argyle been promised that if Toronto finish top, the championship final will be in Toronto? Well, I'm, not sure. That's David. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Well, I, I, I doubt that would be the case. I, yeah. I wouldn't have thought. I'd... What we don't want to do is is cheese people like David Argyle off, do we? You know, he he didn't get promoted last season. He's been wrapped over the knuckles for inappropriate comments, and now we might be taking the championship final away from him. But I think you know, is, is there a danger that we? Well, I'm sure. It, I'm sure it'd be clear. I'm, I, I think we're making a mountain out of a mole. I'm pretty sure that at the start of the season people will have addressed this and they'll know where this, this game has been played. If there's any kind of, you know, mitigating circumstances to, to be taken into account, they'll be aware of that. I'm head coach, I'm, I'm not interested. All I'm going to do is try and get there. Of course. All right, and, uh, you know, I'm, yeah, I just think we should leave it to the people who are, who are paid to make them decisions. We all remember those fantastic championship finals that were at neutral venues, though, because they were almost game-wide events, weren't they? were not just the, the supporters of the two clubs. And so it, it created what rugby league craves for, which is, is big events that, that the whole game can get well, behind. It comes down to structure, Michael yeah. said there. You know, the, the minor premier or the people at the top get a, a buy in the first round. They get an advantage already in the final series. They give them two advantages by having a home final as yeah, well as, yeah, you know, yeah. a, a, a ranking <coughs> in the final system. 
I think if you you know we're all about creating events. We've got the grand final, we've got the Challenge Cup final, we've got Magic Weekend, we've got the Summer Bash. We've got to create more events. If you hold the Championship Playoff Final at Headingley, you will get neutrals going to that game. I'll go. I'll, I'll go for sure, regardless yeah. of who's in it. I'll go and watch yeah. it, and I'm I'm not in the minority there. There'll be a lot of people want to attend that event. Yeah, and just briefly, Michael, if Toronto are promoted this season with all their vast resources, what would uh, Super League look like next year? Well, I think you know they've still got to have have challenges with that. There's a, there's a salary cap to uh, to play with that I'm presuming they will spend a salary cap, but you've still got to find the players. And I think what you're finding in Super League, certainly from clubs like ours, is that a lot of clubs now are holding on to the players that they've got. They're not letting players get to the end of the contracts and, and seeing them disappear to other clubs. You know, we are, we're all fighting to keep the players that, that we want to keep. So they've got a challenge on in, in attracting certainly English players. Um, I've no doubt that they'll bring, you know, probably a couple of uh, overseas, sure. overseas players in. Um, but to me, you know, London have provided ample challenges, I've said already, you know, the Beatles twice very, very easily. Um, so, you know, I don't think Toronto are going to bring anything more than, than London have brought in terms of on the field. You know, London have been fantastic. So they will be in the mix, Toronto, there's no doubt. You know, when you've got players like Ricky Latelli and, uh, and that sort of breed of player, um, you know, they're, they're going to be a, a challenge for sure. OK, have to stop it there. That's the end of part two. Uh, and we'll look forward to the final part of the show in a few moments' time. Welcome back to the third and final part of this week's Back Chat. Michael, some game-changing news almost have come out of Robert Elson's camp around discussions with equity companies looking to invest in sport. We've seen this already in Rugby Union. They've had a huge windfall from a private equity company already. I appreciate this is hugely confidential, but what's your initial take on it? I think any investment in the Super League would, uh, sorry, not Super League, Rugby League is, uh, ah, is massively welcome. Will it be Rugby well, League I, or Super well, League? Well, I'm talking about game-wide. Any investment into our game, we can't afford as a game to turn down, in my opinion. So whether it's the new Betfred deal with, with, with Super League and that follows into Championship and League One. David Argyle, you talked about earlier, you know, guys, owners coming into the game and investing their money into it. We are not in a position like football where we can be so picky that we can't refuse investment into the game. So I welcome any investment. And, and like you say, you know, it, it's, it's, it's confidential at the minute, but any investment into our game is welcome. How do you see it, Damien? Well, 100%. I mean, in, investment comes in many forms. You know, football um, is supported by investment, generally privateers who prop up massive losses in every club, the 92 down um, every year. So whilst the FA and, and the leagues are, are independent and not private equity held at all, um, certainly most clubs are, majority of them. So you have to have it, you know, either way. The sport, our sport here won't survive without private equity. Now, the clubs don't survive without chair people and their supporters popping in cash flow every month. That's just the game we've got. So, and that won't change, regardless of how good the TV deal is in future, you're still gonna need that um, assistance. So, and I wouldn't look at it as whether it be Super League or League One or Championship gets that investment, because as we just talked about, um, you need players. And the Championship and League One provide the HR pool, <laughs> the, you know, the product and the talent 
um, for Super League clubs. So um, whatever the deal is, the private equity people coming in and Robert, I'm sure, will work out in the Super League clubs um, the right structure to make sure that the funding for the championship and, and other clubs are there to produce the talent that they will look for. And that might be a, a wider dual red structure or some sort of a parent club structure going on, um, which which are feeder clubs, which is a big model in New South Wales in, in Queensland where um, the larger NRL clubs have deals with two or three um, New South Wales Cup or Queensland Cup sides um, where they help fund it. Now, funding doesn't have to be cash. Um, a Super League club might provide the analyst, the physiotherapist and, and the defensive coach for a club who can't ordinarily afford to do that, um, a fitness coach. So you can really support the game financially. And I know if most championship clubs had three staff members supported by, you know, a Super League structure who were trained through Super League and all that, that'd be a massive issue for the bottom line. It helps so much yeah. having things that you can't ordinarily um, afford. Well, we don't want this cash to go to Australian players at the end of no. their career. Like or their agents. At the beginning of Super League. Or their agents. Or their agents. No. We want to see it in junior development. Yeah. We want to see it in facilities. We want to see it in marketing the game. Yeah. That would be a tremendous... So I say it doesn't have to be cash. Cash no. is probably the worst thing it could be, yeah. to be fair, because that'll go into paying back directors' loans or, or frittered away here and there. it will become a wasteful culture. Um, the right way to do it would be to set up a, a quota, and, and motor racing's a really good model for it. Um, motor racing outside of Formula One has models where clubs can only, uh, sorry, the racing teams can only have so many tyres, so many engines, so many staff and all that around. Now, if you had a strong model where all championship clubs and League One clubs had to have X amount of staff in key positions, which were about player welfare and development and skills coaching, X amount of IT and digital marketing support mm -hmm. and, and spend their money in, in HR support and, um, and welfare support, mm -hmm. and it might be a team of six or eight, the model, if that were centrally funded, um, forget the cash, the clubs would be so much more better off and it would, would be a really strong model to build the whole game. And there there's, a, there's a massive element that, we, that I've been remiss yeah. of in community clubs. So Hewitt in York, you know, Dudley Hills, we've got, we've got uh, Crigleston and, and a whole range of community clubs, Lock Lane and Castlewood. That's where the players are coming from. I went to watch a game a week last Sunday, Lock Lane versus Emily Moore. Great game of rugby. Lock Lane have got some great kids and, uh, you know, that's, that's where our next generation of players are all coming from. So we've got to invest in them clubs as well. The and where your game's game. coming from yeah. when you play on a Sunday yeah. or Thursday night. The, the stakeholders are the first through the gates. Yeah, yeah. There is, however, a word of caution. These guys are hard-nosed financiers. There's one reason why they're investing money in this. It's for their return on investment. They're going to set some fairly tough financial targets, I would think, and they're going to put some imposing key performance indicators down as well. But it's a major opportunity, nonetheless. But shouldn't and we have those we have standards anyway? We should have those standards anyway, as a we governing should. body or whoever, we should impose them but on this ourselves. This will be going up several notches, I suspect. Yeah. Nonetheless, it's a wonderful opportunity. They're going to want the game to succeed if they're putting millions of pounds Absolutely. in, I guarantee. And the way to do that is do it smart and support it and grow it. And if they succeed, we succeed. But isn't the real benefit that instead of a 12 leagues, 12 club Super League, we could have a 14 club Super League or a 16 club Super League and get away from loop fixtures and all the hassle that that provides that's a utopia i think certainly from a super league point of view that we do have a home and away and, and maybe throw a magic weekend event in there as well as a because we can't afford to lose events so i think that is a utopia K 
can you uh, going back two years could you move to 14 teams probably not the player pool wasn't there for me but I think we're getting closer and closer to that point where the player pool is big enough yeah. to go to 14 teams potentially 16 teams I'd love to see player pools in Newcastle in Coventry develop the thriving player pools in, in the southeast or the London Broncos uh, team weren't playing rugby mm. league that long ago someone gave them an opportunity and there's some fine athletes out there that haven't even thought about rugby league yet. This sort of marketing and this sort of investment in the infrastructure could create those player pools. But what I don't want to go back to is where we were probably four years ago, going to Warrington and getting beat 80-0 because mm. we didn't have the players within our squad to compete with the, the highest level of teams in that competition. And let's just not throw away the fact that at the minute we've got a competition that is really, really competitive. Whether whether you've got the viewpoint that it's been dumbed down or whatever, it's still really competitive. And I'd feel comfortable going to a St. Helens like we did last year before last and winning. So let's not throw that out of it. We've, it, we've got to be really careful with, with opening up the competition that we don't dilute it. Could you open it up, though, to create a more national identity for the game? You know. Look at Newcastle Falcons, his ownership of the Thunder. Look at Wasps, his ownership of Coventry and so on. I think this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to create that identity. I think there are certain areas strategically that would be a benefit to Super League. I, I certainly believe that. Um, but we've got to make sure that we get the right ones. The infrastructure is right. Damien's absolutely right. You know, player welfare, marketing, all those sort of off-field operations have got to be right at, at, at each club. I'm not saying we've got it right at Wakefield. We certainly haven't. There are areas that we've got to get better at. Um, I wouldn't rule out... I've never been a massive, massive sort of cheerleader of expansion. I haven't. I've, I've, I've always thought that we could, um, we could become the, the second sport in the North because we're never going to beat football. Let's not kid no, ourselves that we're going to get above football. We're not. But can we be that next alternative in the North of England that... If a football fan hasn't got a game on, I'll go and watch York versus uh, Halifax because I'm a York City fan or I'm a Leeds fan, but I'll go and watch Wakefield versus versus whoever. Um, can we get to that position, but also at the same time explore every expansion opportunity there is because Newcastle is a hotbed. You know, we've been there for three, four years at, at Magic and it's been a great event. Um, great to expand in North Yorkshire a little more as well. Oh, yeah, obviously, uh, John Flatman and the board at York have got uh, plans to, to, to uh, grow the club, but it, it needs to be sustainable. You know, we need to get more children playing, uh, create pathways, uh, you know, keep growing the club off the field, and hopefully that'll reflect on the field. But just briefly, briefly going back to Newcastle, the uh, distance they've travelled over the last you know, probably five, six years is, is immense. Obviously, not only the quality they see on the team, the facilities that they use, uh, but the, the amount of people they've got playing the game up there, they have links with universities, links with college sides, they've got you know, a ca an academy side in, in, uh, in Super League. You know, some of them players playing for Yorkshire Academy. Uh, so they're, they're certainly going in the right direction and if they can continue uh, growing off the field, that could they could also they could be a real top championship club and, and beyond in the near future. Absolutely, the facilities are great as well. Oh, we, we went up there as a yeah. pre-season camp. They, they, they hosted us for three or four days, and it, <coughs> it was a really really good experience. It, it can't all be roses. It's not all going to be nice and fuzzy yeah. and roses. There has to be a downside, and that downside is um, the, the fittest and the better clubs have to find a way to be at the top of tiers and, and in part of the expansion at the expense of clubs who are not as strong and that's just life and the NRL went through it 
probably 20 years ago now. Um, they had a criteria and a rationalisation and they merged some very famous clubs, West Magpies and Illawarra. Um, but to, to, to get that strong platform and get the player pool all playing at, at the best level and the off-field pool as well. Not every club can have good CEOs and good HR and good digital. You've got to get all the best working in that main structure. Um, the game does have to rationalise. So expansion is often uh, muddled with um, a, a, an either-or argument. It's not. Um, you've got to get the main core of the game op optimally performing first. And at the moment, um, it's spread too thin and too many clubs aren't of a level, not too many. There are clubs that aren't of a level and some clubs doing great things. So I know it's, a, it's an elephant in the room, but the game has to rationalise. It has to rationalise because the money is spread way too thin across too much mediocrity. It's got to rationalise to get that cream at the I don't top. I think we've quite got enough time left to go on through that one. I do want to come on to State of Origin. We've got the decider coming up this week. Looking forward to it, Damien? Oh, very much. And you know, I think it's great. It's a great um, representation of what rugby league is. I think James will agree. And, and, and Michael's had some tough results out there on the pitch. Um, the best, you know, two 17s playing each other in the world. Um, you know, if, if you're not winning the ruck and if things don't go your way early, a hot favourite Queensland team get rolled by 30 points in game two who had no right to get beaten in that game. Uh, and that, that's what rugby league is. So uh, that's why we shouldn't react in the game when a team gets beaten like Widness on the weekend uh, had a bad result two weeks ago against Bulls. That's just rugby league. You can't get hung up on it. That's a really exciting competition. It's really fine, man. Yeah. James for Queensland. End of an era for Queensland? Well, the, the span of the team that they had is always going to be difficult to replace, uh, obviously. Uh, but, you know, as, as Damien said, it's fine margins in, in, in all sports, especially with Blake. If, if one side just, just get on top of you in the rook or the kick accuracy is off or a couple of calls go against you or your heart's make a couple of decisions that aren't great, you know, it, the balance tips and, you know, score lines can blow out. And, uh, uh, you know, it doesn't mean that teams aren't trying, doesn't mean teams aren't good. Uh, but yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Shows you what a great player Cameron Smith was, doesn't it? Now he's retired from Origin. Um, I always said that when he retires, that the Queensland and the Australian side will suffer a, you know, a, a huge loss. I had a great comment about Cameron Smith when he said he just reached 400 gains, and they said. Um, Congratulations to Cameron Smith on his 400th appearance. That's only 14 short of Bill Harrigan's record for refereeing games in Australia. So he... <laughs> it's, it's funny you mention Bill Harrigan. There's a massive change in the structure of the game now in Australia, in the NRL and at Origin level. Um, now only having two referees on the pitch as opposed to three with Cameron there as well. So <laughs> <laughs> the one thing about Cameron Smith that I've always admired, I've never ever seen him flustered. No. He plays in a key position. Obviously teams will have a lot of plans to, to negate his effect. And I'm sure occasionally they've just thought, we'll just wallop him. Uh, but I've never seen him uh, make, look anything other than composed, making great decisions and incredibly skillful. And to do that for over 400 games, you know, he, he's, he has been and he will, you know, it has been some player, hasn't he? I think he'll be an outstanding coach as well, won't he? Yeah, you can come on the York stuff. <laughs> <laughs> for expenses. Yeah. I think that the, the state of origin, again, you go back to, to events, you know, and we need more of them in this country. We've had uh, junior state of origin with Yorkshire, uh, Lancashire this year. Yeah. The ladies have played Yorkshire, Lancashire. I'd love to see us get back to a, a, a Yorkshire, Lancashire at, at main level. Um, Definitely. I think, I think it, 
it's, it, we've got to learn the lessons of last time because clearly it, it fell, you know, uh, it fell down last time in terms of numbers of uh, people attending it. But I think we've got a real opportunity to create another event there, and I'd, I'd love to see, uh, you know, some of our players involved in that yeah. as well. I've seen them involved at junior level. I'd, I'd love to see some of those. The benefit involved. in international level would be huge. Yeah. You, you know, that's just another level up. All playing around elite yeah. players, yeah. Um, where the, the 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 Great Britain sides, the English sides, would benefit hugely from that. Yeah, we, so we have a, we have an issue, don't we, mid-season that we want a mid-season international, but we can't find an opposition that we feel will test England. Yeah. So if we can't find them, let's use that weekend mm. to have the best Great of the idea. best playing Lancashire, Yorkshire. And if we want to bring in Cumbrians or Londoners, you know, that, that we feel that will benefit, well, so be it. Have have a couple of players on each side that are non-Yorkshire, non-Lancashire. That'd be very interesting. And our um, states of origin in London, yes or no? Oh, no, look, I, I think <laughs> you'd have to prize it away from Queensland. Or somewhere down there. I mean, you know, they're playing 84,000. Oh, yeah. Done yeah. well in Perth. So, yeah. yeah, exactly. And that, that model of having one game um, at a neutral venue like the MCG or, or Perth works. And uh, no, there's way too much money down there in that to move it to London. <laughs> I think. Thank you, Damien. Well, that's it. That's it for another edition of Rugby League Backcheck. My thanks to my guests. Michael Carter, James Ford, and Damien Irving. And don't forget, you can get involved in the conversation as well on Twitter at RL Backcheck. We'll see you next week. Rugby League Backchat is sponsored by TotalRL.com.